0: Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode 8 of the Locust and Honey Podcast. Join us as we discuss the extraordinary means of revivalism. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episodes. You can also find us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Well, hello, everybody.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Locust Honey Podcast. My name is Matt. My name is Andrew. We're super excited for you to be here with us today. Today, we're going to be discussing the extraordinary means of revivalism. It's a catchy title. Why did we name it it that?
0: Well, we named it that because we are focusing on the ordinary means of grace and the extraordinary means of revivalism and contrasting them today. And comparing. And comparing them.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, that'll be fun. I'm excited about this episode. I know we say that every time, but this will be a good one. And very applicable to us Mm -hmm. as two Reformed Southern Baptists. Bapti, two Reformed Southern
0: Bapti. Something like that. I prefer Bapti, to be honest with you. All right. Well,
1: Mm -hmm. us as two Reformed Southern Bapti, this is uh, something that we see a lot and deal with a lot. So, uh, exciting episode today. Before we get started in all of that, Andrew, what are you into today?
0: I am into... Getting ready for the new year. And the way that I'm doing that is preparing myself for what I would like to see the new year be like, 2022. We're recording this in 2021 and this this podcast is gonna come out in 2022. So happy new year, everybody.
1: Happy New Year.
0: Um, but with that, I have a couple I have some things I wouldn't necessarily call Are we them. talking about
1: New Year's resolutions? Uh maybe. So you have a bunch of New Year's resolutions. Maybe like you're gonna go vegan for 2022? No. No, I'm uh, not doing that. Okay. <laughs> what you got then?
0: <laughs> new Year's resolutions in the sense of actual good resolutions, not just re- Are you resolutions that going of eternal. Vegan is not a good resolution. There's no eternal significance. Going vegan does not. No.
1: Oh, okay.
0: No, my my New Year's resolutions, I want to I wanna make them have eternal significance. So I want to try and just dis- and start to read more. One of the things that I did last year at the beginning of the new year was I wanted to read through <laughs> I wanted to read through the Bible. And how'd you do? Well, I'm on Psalms right now. So the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. All so right. I made it.
1: Have you made it through Psalm one nineteen
0: yet? No. Wow. I made it halfway through the Old Testament pretty much. So yeah. that's gonna be a longer process. <laughs> 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 it's still something I wanna do. So I haven't stopped from the beginning of this past year, reading through the Bible. But I'm doing it very slowly, and I'm kind of— I don't just want to read through it like a novel or something. Right. You know what I mean? I want to actually wrestle with it. I think there's a place for that, too. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: But, yes, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. The whole drilling into it. Right. And digging down. That's what I found myself doing a lot. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I don't remember which one it was, so I can't give credit. But they were talking about how our generation, we love to consume— information Mm -hmm. but we don't process what we're consuming yeah so take christians pastors whatever we like to read the word we like to listen to podcasts we like to listen to youtube videos and watch youtube videos we like to hear different sermons and read a bunch of books and things like that but then we never take time to meditate and chew on what we're eating right and just like somebody if you never swallow your food that can get unhealthy you Mm -hmm. know so taking that time to just chew on it and think about it and because if you look at like the way the lord works through scripture it's over a long time you know you got the israelites wandering through the desert for 40 years Mm -hmm. and he's just working on them you look at before he even called moses moses is in the desert and he's just thinking and contemplating and the lord's using all of that to Mm -hmm. not like we just meditate like buddhists right but we do need to make time to process what we've been consuming so that we can implement it and not just have knowledge but have true wisdom.
0: Yeah, I. so that's going to be kind of something that I continue probably for several years. But I want to get through the whole Bible that way. Yeah, And then I think for this year, though, I want to start reading things that would— So, like, I got a lot of—not a lot, but I got some books for Christmas, and then I asked for a lot of books, and I'm going to plan on getting those as well.
1: Did your brother-in-law give you a book for Christmas? (laughs) He
0: did. What's it called? its is called—I don't remember right now. Oh no. Oh, it's got a, like a Greek word. It's got like a No, it's Latin. Latin name. So like I haven't
1: I think it's Vindexi contra Tyrannus. Yeah. Vindexi.
0: But I'm excited for that one. That'll be one that I read for sure in Well, that'll I'm be cool for that because
1: one. I'm reading Lex Rex right now. Just yeah. starting it. And we can bounce back and forth. Yeah. On thoughts of that.
0: So I want to get into that. I think it does us good to know and understand that a lot of the stuff that, particularly that genre where it's talking about stuff that happened in the 1500s, the 1600s in the life of the church. I think a lot of the stuff that the church is facing today, we all assume is new and unique. Right. And it, and it is to an extent. There's but nothing like, new under the sun though. Right. In principle, the stuff that we're facing has been faced to the same degree, if not more, probably a lot more by the church in previous generations and previous mm-hmm. centuries and millennia. So, yeah, so that'll be a goal for, Goal of mine is to read through some of the books that I got and focusing in on how we can look at how they dealt with situations back then in the 15, 1600s and look at how, you know, we can apply that to today's
1: w- situation that we're in. Yeah, awesome. Well, you stole mine, <laughs> so I'm just going to double down. Okay. I'm in it to win it, bro. What I'm into is the same thing, resolutions. Just read through Jonathan Edwards' resolutions that he wrote when he was 19. And what I'm looking to do is not just have like a a resolution to eat more salad with my food Mm -hmm. or, or things like that, but having resolving to look more like Christ, right? So assessing 2021 and seeing where I failed and then figuring out what I can, what idols I can tear down to look more like Christ or what areas I can, grow in to look more like Christ. Doing that, I think the the purpose of that is it gives us a, a target. It gives us a bullseye to aim at so that we can see at the end of the year how close we are to the target, the target being Christ. Yeah. And then we can make better corrections in that. But so I'm also reading some books this year. I've got a reading plan that I'm doing, and there's different different things that I'm wanting to read. Um, so like we said, I'm reading Lex Rex, The Law and the King from 1644 uh, by Samuel Rutherford. And then I'm also reading a biography on John Knox, and I'm reading The Valley of Vision, which is prayers and devotions by the Puritans. And I'm going through with you and Jacob and our wives, nine marks of a healthy church. Mm-hmm. And I'm also reading, what is that red book down? Yeah. Family Driven Faith by Vodi Bacham. So that's on my list right now. Then I'm also doing the, every year I do through the word, reading, try to read through the word each year. So I'll be doing that as well, but I'm continuing through like you are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't do, I don't do it every year all the way through. But where I'm at right now, I'll continue, and then when I get done, I'll just continue to read through that, which is secondary to my, you know, personal time in the Word and also study time for preaching and all that. So that's kind of where I'm at, too, with all this New Year's resolving. So if you're reading, or reading, if you're listening to this, and it's going to be, what day will this come out, like January January 2nd? 2nd? Mm -hmm. So if you're hearing this, the New Year has just started, if you're listening to it right when we put it out, which our mom's and maybe our wives. Well, not Emma, because (laughs) (laughs) she's on like episode three. (laughs) But for those of you that are listening right when it comes out, it's still the beginning of the new year, and so you can also just spend some time with the Lord thinking about the last year and what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the first and second table. We've been talking about what is biblical worship. We've been talking about a lot of different stuff on here. But this is a good time to just kind of assess yourself. Where have you been creating idols, and you need to tear those down, what are some things that you can do to look more like Christ and you can implement to resolve and do those things? And it doesn't have to be this crazy thing, but just take baby steps. If you're not reading the Bible every day like we all need to be because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path, then you can just decide, okay, I'm going to read a proverb a day or I'm going to read for 10 minutes today. I'm going to read a chapter a week. Pick something and be in the words that you're consistent with it. And then you can grow more and more to where you're reading the Bible in a year, reading the Bible. And I've seen people that read the Bible in four months, you mm-hmm. know, and they do that, mm-hmm. or three months, and they do that four times a year just to get a good overview of the big picture meta narrative of Scripture. Scripture. But yeah, so uh, that's what I'm into as well. Yeah, Scripture. Scripture. ya Belta. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of scripture and grace this is like
0: this is the, this is becoming part of the podcast it's is how bad segue. our transition is the segue yeah. well <laughs>
1: yeah it is the segue <laughs> speaking of transitions so the extraordinary means of revivalism yes why do we come up with that topic
0: well because it is a play on words on the ordinary means of grace Ah. and so what we are doing today is we are going to compare and contrast the ordinary means of grace with the extraordinary means of revivalism.
1: So why are we picking revivalism to compare and contrast the ordinary means of grace to?
0: Well, because the effects of revivalism and the extraordinary nature of it, this idea that we have to do things that are extraordinary to receive extraordinary blessings from the Lord or work of the Lord or to attain that, I think it's in direct contrast with scripture. And I think that the effects of it are plain and they're obvious in the church, not well, they're obvious now having learned about all this stuff. I mean, growing up in the church that I grew up in, it wasn't so obvious, but now looking back, it's like, man, this has a lot of deep roots in, in what we do and why right. we do it, you know?
1: Well, yeah. And I, w- so I would say that the purpose of our podcast Locusts and Honey Podcast, we are desiring to bring the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. And we also say that we're two Reformed Southern Baptists. So the heart of our culture is growing up in the Southern Baptist churches, uh, specifically here in Georgia. And something that I've seen a lot and experienced a lot is effects of revivalism. What I would like to do is show how the ordinary means of grace is a more biblical way. Mm. let's get into it then. Yeah. What is revivalism? Let's give it a definition.
0: So revivalism is a form of activism, involvement in a movement producing conversions, not
1: in ones or twos, but in mass. All right, so when we talk about revivalism, we're not talking about revivals. Right. We're talking about a movement that's producing conversion in mass. Yes. So large scale. We're thinking more of Billy Graham... We're thinking of the Jesus movement of the 70s. All right, yeah. And and so all of that finds its root in the Second Great Awakening. Yeah. First Great Awakening, you've got a bunch of more reformed guys. Well, they were reformed guys that were leading the First Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. Second Great Awakening is really some other guys were involved in it, but it really starts and gets its boom with Charles Finney. And we've talked about Finney a couple of times on the podcast now. Yeah. But Charles Finney, he's one of the predominant guys that's pushing this Second Great Awakening, and revivalism is kind of an offshoot from what Finney did with the Second Great Awakening Mm -hmm. and the Second Great Awakening in general. Who was Charles Finney then?
0: So Charles Finney, he lived, I believe, in the... Well, he lived throughout the 19th century. I think he died in 1875, somewhere around there. Yeah. But he was a... Lawyer by trade? A lawyer. A lawyer. From Savannah.
1: (laughs) Just kidding, go ahead.
0: So he was coming at evangelism, and he was coming at, really, the, the gospel itself, I think, from a reasoning standpoint. Yeah. He wanted to argue and persuade people into faith in Christ as opposed to preaching from the word. Right.
1: Yeah. So he was a, I've heard his name a lot growing up. There's a lot of predominant people within the Southern Baptist culture or just evangelicalism. There's a lot of people that speak highly of Finney because he was very successful at seeing people walk an aisle in mass. You Mm -hmm. know, there was lots of conversions under him. As I started kind of looking at him as a person and as a theologian, or I mean he's a pastor but I start looking at him some of the stuff that he said was pretty eye opening to to who he was. He wrote a book called Revival Lectures by Finney and the first chapter is Revival is not a miracle and what he says in that is revival is not a miracle nor dependent on a miracle. He also says that the way to heaven is universal, perfect and uninterrupted obedience to God's law. And so a lot of what finney was doing was working people up to make emotional responses mm. right so when we're talking about revivalism we're not talking about a church that has a revival right we're talking about just this this whole system of being driven by revivals and being driven by emotional response. That's really impacted the church today in a bunch of different ways, but some of the major negative effects of revivalism would be having to walk an aisle and say a prayer. Mm-hmm. Would be one of them. Having the, the altar be this place that we've got to go to, and we've got to repeat after me this prayer, and if you've said this prayer, raise your hand and you're now saved. Right. That comes from revivalism, because what they did, revivalism during the Second Great Awakening, you would have a pastor, a a revivalist that would come to a town and they didn't have television back then. They didn't have all that stuff. So when somebody came into town, they would bring this tent, big tent, and that would draw a crowd. Mm -hmm. And then they would have, Finney was in a revival that lasted six months one time in New York, but it would last however long it lasted, however long there was a crowd and there was people walking the aisle every night and all that. They would just keep going. So some of them would be a week. Some of them would be a month. Some Finney's lasted six months. You would have them come into town and they would have their tent set up and they would preach this turner burn type message and try to get these emotional responses out of people. And what I'm not saying about this, I want to be clear that we're not just like, there's a lot of people that I know that have been affected by revivalism. And so I'm not saying that anybody who's ever walked an aisle and said a prayer is not saved. And I'm not saying anybody who has an altar call is out of God's will for their life. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? A story. So I've got a friend that is from Zimbabwe. He just recently passed away in a car crash. But I was on a missionary trip in Zimbabwe. And the guy that was hosting us, he was over this organization in Zimbabwe. His name is Jabalani. And... We would go to different schools. He set us up to go to different public schools, and we would be able to give a gospel presentation. At the end, the guy that I was on this mission trip with, this was my first time I ever going on a mission trip, right after I got saved, about a, about six months after I got saved. The guy that I was there with, he would give a gospel presentation, and then he would say, okay, if, if you believe that what I'm saying is true and you want to ask Jesus into your heart, raise your hand. And when he would do that, everybody in the school, there'd be like 150, 200 kids there. Everybody in the school would raise their hand for salvation. And we did this for two days. We went to four different schools, two each day. At the fourth school, I went over to Jabalani and I said, Jabalani, how many of these kids do you think are actually being converted by the gospel? I, I said, I feel like it's, it's almost self-serving to say that we're on this trip for a week and we saw 800 kids come to Christ. Mm-hmm. I said, out of those 800, how many do you think are actually followers of Christ that they, they're being transformed by the truth of God's word? And he looked at me and he said, well, I don't know. He said, but when I was in fifth grade, I was at school and a guy came, gave a gospel presentation, had us all raise our hand. We all did. And I raised my hand, too. And now here I am today. He said, so if one kid comes to faith in Christ because of what we're doing, it's worth it. And so that there is truth in that, right? Mm-hmm. The Lord can speak through a donkey. The Lord can speak through a crooked stick that draws a straight line. The Lord can do whatever he wants to do. But what we're saying is that there's a more biblical way. Right. So I I wanted to give that as kind of an asterisk is that, you know, people listening to this, the majority of people were probably saved by walking an aisle and saying a prayer. Right. We're we're not trying to say that if you've done that, you're not a Christian, you know, but Mm -hmm. we are trying to get people to look at why are we doing the things that we're doing? Are we doing them because they're biblical or are we doing them because that's how we've always done it? And that's what we know to be true. Right. Because the basis for what we do should be scripture. That's what we want to present as a more biblical way. But um, going back to a couple of the negative effects of revivalism, what would you say some more negative effects would be? Well, I think
0: that it causes confusion on a bunch of different levels. On the more practical level and spiritual too, but practically me, I got I got saved by walking an aisle. Mm -hmm. I was seven years old, and that is where I put my faith and trust in Christ for my eternity. But it caused so much confusion because I came to a point where I was a teenager and I was kind of trying to figure out what is my testimony? What has the Lord done in my life? Right. What are the fruit because at that point in time I was learning about, you know, the fruits of salvation, the fruits of the spirit. And a lot of the stuff that was being pressed on me was, you know, you'll know them by their fruits, as it says in scripture. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what is my story? Mm-hmm. Did I get saved back then or did I not get saved back then? Caused a lot of just confusion and wrestling through the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Lord has given me clarity on that. But it took a lot it was it really was a spiritual battle that I had to fight I believe in part because of the system in which I got saved.
1: okay What do you mean by the system in which you got saved?
0: So the the process that I went through and the way that I was taught that it should look um, yeah. which was you walk in, down you walk down the aisle, you say the prayer and then after that if you are genuine about saying your prayer, then you're saved. Mm-hmm. Well then the question becomes well how genuine is genuine? Right. Who gives that standard, yeah. you know? It's an entirely different system as opposed to the Lord actually
1: bringing someone
0: from death to life and then right. giving them faith to believe, well, you so, know what I mean? Yeah,
1: and, and that goes back to the negative effect that, that you're talking about with revivalism is what's happening in revivalism is it becomes works-based salvation. Right. And what Finney taught and what a lot of people after him have taught is that you have to make this emotional response— And you have to have this fervor Mm -hmm. in that response. And if you have enough fervor, it's going to make you read your Bible more. It's going to make you pray more. It's going to make you live holy. It's going to make you live pure and set apart. And if you're not living holy and if you're not living purely and if you're not reading your Bible enough and if you're not praying enough, then... Are you even saved? Right. And that's where rededication comes from, mm-hmm. where you see this wave of people rededicating their life. That's where you see crazy things with baptism, where you see people getting rebaptized baptized and all of that. But that's the root of it is going back to this revivalism and your salvation is based on your fervor to desire to follow Christ, mm-hmm. you know, which is the opposite of what the gospel is and right. what grace is, is that we can't do it christ has already done it and we rest in christ mm-hmm.
0: and that was kind of the more the deeper level because yeah. i do think that it actually is a like it's a gospel issue you right. know it flips kind of the gospel on its head in a similar way that, but it's subtle it's subtle but its effects are very similar yeah. to like what we see in catholicism mm-hmm. you know what i mean
1: yeah no it, it becomes this works based thing and if you look at Finney's theology like he was way off on a lot of stuff. Um, Some of the stuff that we talked about here is where he's talking about revival is not a miracle and it's not dependent on a miracle. The way to heaven is universal, perfect, and uninterrupted obedience to God's law. So like he's going back to law and we're not even saved by grace anymore at that point. We're saved by the law. Mm -hmm. There's no room for gospel there. You know, when we're talking about what is the gospel, the gospel is that the law condemns us, but Christ fulfilled the law and those of us that put our faith in him are forgiven and our sins are atoned for because of Christ's work on the cross and yeah. his propitiation for our sins. But the the other thing that I would point out too in this is that revivalism, one of the reasons we call it this extraordinary means of revivalism is revivalism always leads to techniques and methods. Right. It's technique and method based. And the reason for that is because the heart of revivalism is manipulating people's emotions and if somebody can find a good way to manipulate somebody then chances are that somebody else can reproduce that so you have these techniques and you have these methods of what are you doing to see growth Mm -hmm. and so I've experienced this a lot with being a part of different seminars or things like that where There's these technique-based teachings. You need to understand this technique or you need to understand this method that we're using. We need to come up with this method um, so that it can be reproduced. And you can take this to your church and you can do what we're doing and see the same growth that we've seen. So what normally happens is you see a church that's exploding in number— and so people will go and say, okay, now what did you do to get here? Well, I took this step, this step, this step. And then people say, okay, I'm gonna reproduce that. And then we're gonna we're gonna write a book on it. We're gonna sell that book, or we're gonna go do a conference on it, and we're gonna charge people money to come to our conference and learn the steps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all a byproduct of revivalism. The opposite is what the reformers did, and and even uh the, the first Great Awakening compared to the second great awakening. Second Great Awakening was about these techniques, you know, and, and people took what Finney was doing, who was coming at it more from a, a lawyer's perspective of I'm going to argue this case, and I think I gave this quote before, but Finney said you can put him in the room with 100 people, and if you leave him there long enough – He can convince all 100 that they're not saved. He was arguing a case and making people have this emotional response to what he was saying. But what the Reformers did was completely different. They were relying and trusting God and his word to do what he has already promised to do. So the the Reformers were relying on these ordinary means of God giving grace to lost souls. And he said that he's going to do that by certain things and, and we'll kind of break down the ordinary means of grace in a minute. But, but God said that, you know, it's just, it's, it's this ordinary thing. We gather together, we preach the word, we teach the word, we pray together corporately. We worship God through songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There's exhortation of that word and God's word proclaimed is what transforms hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to when we were talking about the first table of the law, one of the things that God said to Moses is, I didn't reveal myself to you through image and through all these things. I revealed myself th- through, through the Word. The Word is what saves us. It's not a, a technique. It's not a method that we can come up with. It's not us pulling on the heartstrings of people. What saves people is the gospel pro- proclaimed. Mm-hmm. They hear, and then they believe. In Romans, it says, uh, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful is the feet of those who preach the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What Paul's saying here is that faith comes through hearing God's word. And how can they hear Unless somebody is preaching God's word to them. So the reformers grasped this and the reformers understood this, and they were just trusting ordinary means to save people. It wasn't them having the dog and pony show. It wasn't them having a really good choir or a really good praise band or uh, a really engaging sermon series, you know, with a great, you know, PowerPoint display and all that stuff. It was them standing in a pulpit and making the preaching and teaching of God's Word primary and central, and then also the saints gathering together to worship, to pray, to exhort each other, to love one another, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Through those means, people are being regenerate, hearts are being transformed by the gospel, Ultimately, that's changing towns and all kinds of stuff. But so that's kind of the the compare and contrast of why we've chosen to talk about revivalism and compare that to ordinary means of grace is because right. revivalism is not using that. Revivalism is using this method to pull on heartstrings and to ultimately we're manipulating people and we're mm-hmm. giving them a false gospel right. of what salvation is and what grace is.
0: Yeah, and you can see the effects of that. One of the things that in college, we used to talk a lot about why our peers would leave the church. Uh We used to talk about why is it that it seems like our generation is falling away once they graduate high school. One of the things that that we would always say is that, well, because at churches— what we see is this emphasis on mass response and this non-emphasis on actual biblical truths being impudiated into the souls of those who are listening or hearing. Right. There was a lot of, hey, if you trust in Christ, then you won't go to hell. Well, who's going to say no to that? You know what I mean? If you put right. that up to, if you, if you tell someone, okay, well, you have two options that lay before you, you know, one of them is to go and burn in hell for all of eternity. And the other is to spend eternity in heaven. Mm-hmm. Well, who's going to say, I want to go and burn in hell? No one right. is, you know, yeah. even back then, I think that the m- my peers who we were all in college at the time and we were all young college students, I mean, 19, right. 20 year olds, were kind of realizing this is what is what we're doing as a church as a whole at least in the South, which is where I've spent my whole life,
1: <laughs> right. is
0: not producing good fruit. And a lot of the stories that you would hear from my peers in college when we'd give testimonies and things like that was, well, you know, I got saved at this age, but then, like, I fell away. And then I came back and yeah. rededicated my life to Christ. And right. Like, almost everybody has that, had that story.
1: Well, and I think that's a byproduct of the fervor. You know, right. if my salvation is based on how much I mean it, then, when I start to slip, then I ultimately have to question my salvation. And there needs to be this rededication. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go and, okay, I've messed up. When I, two months ago, I walked the aisle and I was crying and pouring my heart out to God and making all of these promises and commitments to Him. And then I haven't been able to keep those. So now I need to go back and I need to rededicate my life to Christ. And that's kind of what Finney's saying when he's saying that the way to heaven is through this uninterrupted obedience to God's law.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Nobody can do that. It's impossible. Christ alone is the only one that could have done that. Mm -hmm. And and so if we're saying that the person's ability to uninterruptedly obey God's law, we're teaching a false gospel because now there's no need for Christ. If we can do that— Right. We could earn our own salvation, right. you know? But the law is a schoolmaster, and it shows us where we failed. We can't uphold God's law, and mm-hmm. people feel the weight of that, and it becomes this heavy burden to them, which is why Christ said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right. He alone can fulfill God's law, and he did when he said that it's finished. Right. He fulfilled God's law, then he offers us his righteousness, Mm-hmm. and he takes our sin and he takes our unrighteousness and that is the gospel mm-hmm. you know that's what that's what the gospel is but what what revivalism is teaching is this works based gospel and it doesn't save anybody any more than mormonism does any more than all of that and another funny thing not funny another interesting thing that i learned is finney he had some people come behind him three of the things that flowed out of finney was mormonism Jehovah's Witness and Seventh Day Adventists. Mm. They all took what Finney was doing and kind of tweaked it a little bit. Yeah. But that's that's where Mormonism, Seventh Day Adventist, and Jehovah's Witness came from. They they came out of Finney's revivalism and the mm-hmm. second great awakening. But like if you look at Mormonism and what Finney's saying and teaching and the effects of that in the church today, there's not a lot different. Right. It's it's us trying to work out salvation in our own strength
0: like do the best you can and the lord will take care of the rest
1: well and that's catholicism yeah you know you're saved after all you can do god steps in and saves you after all that you can do right but that's not the gospel the gospel mm-hmm. is we can't do any of it we're dead in our trespasses and sin and while we were yet sinners christ died for us yeah you know the gospel is god has done it all before the foundations of the world the three persons of the Godhead made a covenant to save us. And they've fulfilled it completely. And then what we have to do, John tells us, is abide in Christ. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, he produces spiritual fruit if our branch is connected to Mm -hmm. the vine.
0: Yeah. So I think this also has a lot of implications for in the life of someone who is a believer walking with Christ, not just... The falling away of people, but also those who have remained faithful to the Lord, but are carrying an unnecessary burden in their spiritual life to artificially produce spiritual disciplines out of thin air. Well, not necessarily out of thin air, but like to have the mindset of, if I'm spiritually disciplined, then the Holy Spirit will work, as opposed to the Holy Spirit's working, and so the spiritual disciplines flow
1: right but there's a balance there going.
0: so it kind of goes hand in hand but on the other hand i think that there is a pressure that we put on ourselves to say okay i need to do all of these things with a certain fervor and if i do that then the holy spirit will work in my life yes you know what i mean and
1: and so like what you're saying is a lot of times w- when people are brought up with the effects of revivalism the sermons that they're hearing are not ordinary means of grace sermons where we're preaching the full counsel of God's word, right? Right. Um, a lot of that preaching is exegetical. It's verse by, ver- verse by verse, passage through passage, through scripture. That would be what we see the Bible showing. Uh, right. There's There's this need for exegetical preaching through God's word. A lot of times in revivalism, you hear a revivalist-style sermon, every week. And so there's this emphasis on you as a person can't do it. You're bad. You need to change what you're doing. And you need to redevote yourself to following God. Mm -hmm. So here's God's standard. Here's how you're not meeting it. And you need to you need to turn to God, either get saved or rededicate your life, and then walk in faith. There's this Turner Burn type message that's being preached every Sunday. And if you've grown in that church for 20 years, then every Sunday you're battling with that same thing. But the opposite of that, what we see in more of an ordinary means of grace type church, where the preaching of God's word exegetically is what's driving the church, you see this full nourishment of saints. It's not just us trying to get people to walk the aisle and say a prayer. Yeah. But it's us trying to shepherd the sheep that God has given us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in that you see this teaching of the whole council of God's word. And that deals with initial being faced with sin. Mm-hmm. Right. We we were talking about this this morning together, but people have to be faced with their sin so that they can repent of that sin. Right. When we're talking about grace, what is grace? Grace is God stepping in and taking our punishment, even though we're guilty. Mm-hmm. So people have to be found guilty by God's law for grace to be a thing. Right. You know, um, so we need that. We need to be found guilty by God's law so that we can repent of that. And then we turn to Christ. But once we're in Christ, we're forgiven of our sins as far as the East is from the West.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, where, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. mm mm-hmm. Should I go on sinning then? Certainly not, because that's not the way a follower of Christ thinks. Right. We want to look like Christ. Right. We're now not free to do anything we want, but we're free to follow after Christ now. Right. We're not bound and slaves to sin anymore. We're free to be able to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. We're still going to sin. We're still going to mess up. But as a believer, I am now under the blood of Christ. I have been redeemed. I have been brought from death to life. My heart of stone has been made a heart of flesh. But there's still a lot of things that I need to hear to help sanctify me. The gospel is still preached to me on a daily basis. Services should be evangelistic in nature, but it's not just turn or burn. You mm-hmm. know, there's a whole lot more depth to that. So I, I think we've kind of gone a lot into the negative effects of revivalism. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want to look at. What are the ordinary means of grace? So to do that, I want to go to question 65 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Sounds smart. Have you not read the Heidelberg Catechism? No. Shit, it's a good one. Question 65 says, "It is through faith alone that we share in Christ and all His benefits. Where then does that faith come from?" So I think this is a good question to ask: Is where does true faith come from? Mm -hmm. And the answer, question 65, is. The Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. What this is saying, and the passage that we read, we're going to go to in a second, but where does true faith come from? And Scripture is very clear. We read it in Romans. You started off in Galatians, but Scripture is clear that faith comes from the preaching and teaching of god's word in romans where we were just at what he's saying is how can somebody who is not heard or how can they call on him whom they have not believed and how can they believe in him they have never heard and how are they to hear without a preacher and how can they preach unless they're sent so if we take that back you've got god who is calling and sending preachers to preach his word and then in, in, in them doing that people are hearing god's word preached And then they're believing. And that's how God distributes his grace to us, is through the preaching of God's word. And then that's shown through the Lord's Supper and baptism. Mm -hmm. Through baptism, we see God's grace being revealed to people. And then they're making this public declaration of what's happened in them. They're now buried with Christ and raised in the likeness of his death. The old man is dead, and we are this new creation in Christ. And then the Lord's Supper, we're coming together, and we are together remembering the body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. And we need that on a daily and weekly basis. Mm. But this differs from revivalism because we are putting our faith in God, and it's not just this feelings based thing. Right. Uh, I'm reminded. Luther, he wrote a hymn, and it kind of deals with this. What he said was, uh, so here's a line from his hymn. For feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. And so when Luther started all of this, he's saying anything other than the word of God is not worth believing. If, if anything is based on feelings, they come and go, and they can deceive us. The Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. We know not the depths of it. Our salvation isn't determined on our feelings. It's not determined on an emotional response that we've made. Our salvation is solely based on Christ. Mm -hmm. And if we have put our faith in him, then we can't lose that. There's no need to rededicate our life because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Right. And our sins have been separated from us as far as the East is from the West the moment we believe. So as a Christian, we don't just go on wallowing in sin because if we have been given a new heart, our heart's not going to desire just to wallow in sin. Right. It's going to desire to look like Christ. And so there's going to be this constant repentance of sin. And that's why repentance is so important because it's, it's a, it shows us that our heart's been changed because a lost person doesn't desire to repent of sin. Mm-hmm. They just desire to continue to serve themselves. Right. I'm going to go back to Galatians and read it again. And then we're going to uh, talk about it. And we kind of close up here. He says, "O foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who were the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that, God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith so what paul's saying here to the galatians is you foolish galatians who has bewitched you who has tricked you into a different gospel mm-hmm. he said were you saved by faith or were you saved by works of the law we can't be saved by works of the law we right. are saved by faith alone And so he said, if you were saved by faith alone, why are you now trying to justify yourself by the works of the law? Faith is what saves us, and faith is what sanctifies us. And that's it, faith alone. That's what the extraordinary means of revivalism produces. It produces just like what happened in the Galatians where we are saved by faith, but now we have to live by works right now works play a role in our salvation but not of saving us or proving it they play a role of showing that we've been made new Mm -hmm. if i'm an apple tree i'm going to produce apples Uh, if i'm producing oranges you shall know them by your fruit if i'm producing oranges then i'm obviously an orange tree Mm -hmm. no matter what i call myself or what i thought i was the fruit's going to show so if i'm a follower of christ there will be spiritual fruit that's produced love joy peace patience kindness self-control gentleness those are going to be fruits that are produced, not because I'm working hard and reading my Bible enough and praying enough and all of that, but because Christ has transformed my heart. Mm-hmm. And if he hasn't, then there's going to be the fruit of the flesh, and that's going to be evident. But what call, what Paul's calling for is for them to go back to faith that saved them and not rely on the works of the law. And, and there's so many people that struggle with this because— we think, okay, we're saved by putting our faith in Jesus, and I have to really put my faith there. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, I've got to do this work and yeah. and put my faith in Jesus, and I've got to mean it enough that it changes my life. Right. But we're not saved by our fervor. Mm-hmm. In, in Romans it says that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God's the one that is saving us by grace and. Once he does that, he is perfecting us by his Holy Spirit. So it, it takes the, the effort off of us, and that makes what Christ said when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that makes that make a lot more sense. Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't have to strive to uphold the law anymore. Right. We just rest in Christ. And we abide in him because apart from him, we can do nothing. When we abide in him, he produces spiritual fruit in us. He produces all that. So if you take a branch off of an apple tree, it's not going to produce apples because it's been cut off from the source. Right. But if that if that branch is attached to the tree, it will produce apples. Because it's not the branch that produces the apples, it's the trunk and the roots that produce apples through the branch. Mm-hmm. And that's how we are in Christ. If we're abiding in Him, He produces works in us. Not us producing works allows us to abide in Him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I hope that this is helpful for people who have seen the effects of revivalism. Uh, I know, for me, this has been something that i faced on multiple fronts, and and I hope that We've clearly explained it so that people can see that there is a more biblical way, not only to present the gospel, but for us to live as followers of Christ, Mm -hmm. understanding the ordinary means of grace. We gather together on the Lord's Day. We hear the word preached to us. We hear the word exhorted. And then we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Through singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, through loving each other, through encouraging each other, through sharpening each other, through rebuking each other exhorting each other with the word um we pray together and then we see people baptized and we partake of the lord's supper together in doing that that is these ordinary things that god uses to do extraordinary measures Mm -hmm. finney got it backwards and he's trying to do this extraordinary thing to draw people to make a decision for christ but It's through these ordinary things that Christ does the extraordinary, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not vice versa. We need to be more like the Reformers looking for Reformation as opposed to the Revivalists looking for Revivals. So that's kind of my hope, is that we we will see more people come to that understanding that the Reformers came to. That just what Luther said, feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving— But my warrant is the Word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. If we understand that and we grasp that, and the Word of God alone is the only thing that we believe in, all this other stuff, all these other methods and techniques are worthless. You can't reproduce what God's doing. I've got a good friend who um, saw some numerical growth in his church, and some people from the Southern Baptist Convention, I think it was the Georgia Baptist Convention went, and they said, "What are you doing? You know, to to have this many um, people come, and and you're seeing all these baptisms and salvations. What are you doing?" He said, "I'm preaching the Word of God." They said, "Right. Well, everybody's doing that, but what are you doing specifically to see this growth?" He said, "No, everybody's not doing that. <laughs> That's why nobody's seeing growth. You know. Yeah. Once we understand that." God's word alone saves and God has promised that he's going to grow his church. And if we allow him to keep his promise and we don't think we have to come alongside of him and add to it, yeah. um, then he will be faithful to do what he said he's going to do. We just have to trust him. yeah. And if we rely on him, he will grow his church, but he's going to do it in the way that he said he's going to do it. it goes back to worship. You mm-hmm. know, um, if we're trying to add this strange fire to what God's doing. Uh, God, you've told us how to worship you, but if we do this, it'll be more interesting. You know, Um, that's the reason that most people, when we were talking about worship, the reason most people hold to the, the nominative principle of worship is because most people have been infected with revivalism right those of us that hold to the ordinary means of grace also hold to the regulative principle of worship because we believe that god's word is sufficient Mm -hmm. and that he has told us not only how to be worshiped but how to structure a service how to preach the gospel how people are saved and it's not by gimmicks and it's not by emotional response It's by his word drawing all men to himself.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, And I think that's a good place to end on. Um, If you're still here, we hope that this podcast episode has blessed you immensely and that you find rest in Christ and that you have a wonderful
1: Lord's Day. Yes, sir.